welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers try to make up some ground in the NFC West. They host the Arizona Cardinals, but this time with a little help from their healthy friends. And with me this week, unleashing his pet monkey on trick-or-treaters everywhere, it's David Newman. <laughs> Hell yeah, why not, right? Can, uh, look, you're, you must be familiar uh, about this story now. Vaguely, yes. Uh... It, for the uninitiated. This is basically all I've been thinking about based since it happened. I've been thinking about nothing else than the University of Texas coach that has a girlfriend whom he left his wife for who is or was a stripper with she went by the name Pole Assassin and she has a pet monkey that is a part of her act and this pet monkey bit a child during a, a Halloween maze. And it, it, I mean, basically it's the only thing I've been able to think about since I heard about this on like right after Halloween, the story has layers. Uh, what happened to the monkey? I have no idea. I mean, I don't know if, th- if this is anything like uh, friends, then they'll just send the monkey away to a zoo and the special teams coach will pine after it and eventually get reunited with it. But you know, life doesn't always imitate friends, I guess. Look, man, all I'm saying is if a monkey bit my daughter, me and that monkey would be fucking throwing down. All I'm saying is that monkey, you know, it's, it's a little bit like Kyler Murray, small, shifty, and probably a little bit more aggressive than you give it credit for. I'm sure. It's no, got some I bite expect, I'm not saying that it's like necessarily going to be an overwhelming fight, but I'm just saying, I'm going to, probably try to fuck that monkey up all right i'm not saying i'm going to be successful um but that look, would, i just can't let I, that I slide would, okay i would die i would just literally turn around and go take me now my life is done i've seen everything at this point <laughs> oh yes in the live stream chat uh one of our wonderful patrons reminds us that she was also on jerry springer it, I mean, it, this story has everything. Excellent. It's, it's incredible. And to the point where the, the Steve Sarkeesian in the press conference today said, the monkey story is not a distraction. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's, imagine a grown human in a press conference saying the monkey story is not a distraction. I mean, it just, it's great. All right. But let's, I'm sorry if you expected 49ers Cardinals talk, but we are actually having a change of plans currently. And we're just going to spend the next 25 minutes talking about this. So sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It really is. Um, really quickly, uh, a couple of other bits of housekeeping Monday. Uh, we're actually going to normally we do a live stream on Sunday after the game, but this week, because I decided to have a life outside of football, we're going to record on Monday. Uh, I'm going to go see Hassan Minaj at the Paramount and I am super excited about that, but that happens Sunday night. So we're going to record Monday for our live stream. So join us on Monday. We'll be reacting about this Cardinals game, a game that the Niners are surprisingly like not super underdogs for, uh, at one point, depending on the health of Kyler Murray, they were one point favorites at home. But And this comes from Winston at 49ers Web Zone. Since 2015, the Arizona Cardinals are 5-1 straight up and 5-0-1 oh against the spread at San Francisco slash Santa Clara, including when Josh Rosen, remember him, beat the 49ers 28-18 as three-point underdogs at Levi Stadium in 2018. 
Santa Clara, I would say that Santa Clara uh, has been friendly to Arizona, but I feel like Levi Stadium has been friendly to everyone that has come through, except for the 49ers. I think they've only won like two games there in the last two years, um, considering the last couple of games were in Arizona, the last few games were in Arizona at the end of last year. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting game. I mean, I don't know the Levi's thing. They, they just haven't been, foreigners haven't been necessarily all that good anywhere in the last couple of years. So I mean, they're good on the road, comparatively. comparatively. They have a winning record on the road. Cool. <laughs> they just need to be away. Away from, it's the curse of Levi's. You know, I think uh, it must have been Jim Harbaugh who put some degree of, a, of khaki somewhere, just a soiled khaki that is a, a literal stain. He just took like a massive dump in the foundation of that stadium. He went full Odell Beckham and just left his trousers in that stadium. Um, I think the first place you think about when you're thinking about the Niners winning this game, because this is the game. I mean, I I wouldn't say that the next two games are must win games, but they have to split the next two games. And if they're going to split the next two games to try to stay in that race for the seventh seed, then it's I mean, I think this is more likely a win than the game against the Rams. And, the, and you have to start with whether or not they're going to be able to repeat their defensive performance. I mean, last we so we, we talked about in the the reaction to the first matchup between these teams, you know, kind of I think what a good plan overall that uh, the 49ers defense had and then just kind of how well they executed that. Right. And it, I think it was, uh, you know, two things really that, that were kind of the foundation of that plan, which was one, we need to be able to keep Kyler Murray contained within the pocket and and really be disciplined in our rush lanes and and not allow him to uh just create so much out of structure and get out of the pocket and and make these big plays happen um and i think they did a great job of that i mean he has a tendency to be able to uh or to try to escape the pocket going backwards and the 49ers defensive ends especially or or blitzers or whoever their kind of outside most rushers were on that play were very prepared for it and and they kind of rushed up field they rushed to where they thought he was going to be not where he was um which is always going to be a tricky thing with somebody like kyler who is is so elusive right and then from a coverage standpoint they played very soft which is you know kind of what they do most of the time but i think limiting explosive plays from this offense was was huge because they're so good at it right they have so many playmakers on the outside Kyler has been incredible, um, and and so that has been a big part of their offense and why they've been so successful. And so I, I think whenever you can limit those, which they, again, largely did, I think there was a, a couple of really nice plays uh, that Arizona was able to make to create a couple of those, but it was definitely at a lower clip than they had been coming into that. And and so that's kind of the formula, right? I mean, I think holding them, if, if you could say that they could hold Arizona to 17 points again in this game, that would be fucking incredible, right? And I think whether or not they're capable of that, I think is is where we start to get into something we talked about, um, you know, in in this last pod, which is do they have the the guys defensively there to still be able to execute this type of thing? Well, I think it, first and foremost, you have to ask yourself whether or not Kyler Murray is playing, and by all accounts, it seems that he is, because if Texas legend Colt McCoy ends up taking snaps under center. I think the Niners have a much better shot at winning this game. Uh, in fact, I think that's probably why they ended up being favored by a point or so, um, because that there was danger of Colt McCoy playing. And once you take Kyler Murray away from the Cardinals, that that team, even with the wide receiving talent that they have on the outside, looks quite a bit more pedestrian. You're not worried about quite so much. 
uh, with with Colt McCoy as you are with Kyler Murray. And the other player that they've got that's injured who may be a consideration here is DeAndre Hopkins. He only had 15 snaps last week, and he had that first deep shot where he almost scored a touchdown and ended up getting called back because he decided to grab the defender's face mask for the last five yards before he crossed the, the goal line. But after that, he seemed to only come in on third downs, high value downs, and and he was, you know, quasi-ish productive, but not super, not super productive. The only other wide receiver with snaps on the year so far is Antoine Wesley, who I still want to call Antoine Weasley. Like I only see a ginger when I see his name on screen, but he's an undrafted free agent out of Texas Tech. So they have some injury concerns themselves, but both those players, DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, just don't miss games. And even if DeAndre Hopkins is limited, I still think he's not nearly as important. Um, you, you would The Niners would benefit more from not having Kyler Murray than they would necessarily from not having DeAndre Hopkins there. Absolutely, because, yeah, even without Hopkins, right, they still have a number of playmakers on on that offense, right? Whether uh, it's it's A.J. Green or Rondell Moore, you know, they have players that are still going to be problematic for the guys that we're seeing in the 49ers secondary right now, right? So Kyler is is absolutely the bigger piece there, and, and certainly if he's not in the lineup or if he's even, you know, in there and he's significantly hampered by that ankle to the point where, you know, he, the, the mobility element just really isn't a factor, then those change things significantly, right? Either one of those elements, um, you know, changes what they're able to do defensively. Um, and and so that would obviously, yeah, change this entire conversation that we're having right now. So, yeah, I think in, in terms of the injuries, certainly right now, assuming that Kyler is going to be in there and is going to go and is going to mostly be himself, right. Even if he's a little bit, uh, less mobile with, with that ankle injury, but, um, yeah, it'll be nice. I mean, any, any help they can get at this point is going to be beneficial for the 49ers because, uh, the secondary right is, is not going to be in the same shape that it was in this first matchup. Yeah, you've got a new look secondary. You've got a secondary that outside of Emmanuel Mosley is going to be, and I guess Josh Norman is going to be entirely different. So three fifths of it is going to be different. You've got Talanoa Hufanga, who's going to be starting for Jaquaski Tart. You've got Tavon Tavon Wilson, who's going to be playing for Jimmy Ward, and Kwan Williams is back, so he's the starter. And and overall, I think you look at you have to look at Talanoa Hufanga first. In in the week five game against the Cardinals, he was used on five plays, only one of which is the memorable one because it's the one where he blitzed Kyler Murray and ended up disrupting that play. But now he's going to be playing and he's going to be one of the the players that's going to try to stay over the top and try to not bite down. And he's someone who is going to have to play soft, for lack of a better term, because while he looks fast, he's not really the fastest guy out there. He's going to have to play with anticipation. uh, And that means not taking any kind of, um, you know, double moves or head fakes or anything like that. He's a young guy who if I were Carolina or Carolina, Jesus, if I were Arizona, uh, I would test my dude. Um, and, and Tavon Wilson looked like he had an overall good grade, at least based on his PFF coverage grade last week when he came in in relief, but that's largely fueled by his one target and one pass breakup. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens when he gets more snaps over the course of a single game. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, in, in terms of uh, really both these guys, but Hufunga is, is going to have, situations likely where he is is kind of matched up in coverage more because the 49ers typically what they've done against Arizona this was true in the first game this has been true the last couple of uh seasons here basically since uh Kyler and and Cliff have been there but they they tend to run a lot more quarters you know against the Cardinals and so that's going to put your safeties in positions where 
um, they're going to have to match up in one-on-one -on -one coverage a little bit more. And so is, especially if you get guys running vertical routes out of the slot, which, which Arizona will absolutely do. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're, they're likely going to be tested and I would absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, a uh, not the most fun thinking about either one of those guys right now matched up with somebody like Rondell Moore in the slot, right? So um, whether that's underneath and, you know, something more intermediate route where they've got to stay with him um, or it's the vertical stuff, right, where they've got to be able to match that speed and, and prevent the explosive play from happening. So I think, yeah, the the safeties being down from your, your primary starters there uh, is certainly going to be a big thing to watch in this game and whether they can continue to have the success that they need to in limiting those big plays. Yeah, I do think that K1 Williams being back is going to help, but he's not, he, he's benef he is primarily a zone coverage defender. You wouldn't expect him to go man-to-man -man on Rondale Moore and win that matchup a whole, a whole hell of a lot. And you think about what uh, what Rondell Moore did in the game against the 49ers the first time they played. And, and it was that deep, one of the explosive plays was that just beautiful deep shot down the sideline. And that's the kind of stuff that you hope, especially when things break down on scramble drills, that it takes a bit of experience to plaster. It takes a little bit of experience to basically say, okay, now I'm going to find work. I know where my help is. I know what's going on in the structure of the play. Um, and, and if Kyler Murray is mobile enough to kind of scurry around back there like he does, then, you know, I wonder if even those scramble drills are going to be a bit more effective for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I, I mean, everything, because even if, uh, you know, you're not even getting them isolated as much in the one-on-one -on -one matchup, stuffs like the out-of-structure things, right? Like, that's going to, um, you know, mentally test these safeties, right? So it's going to put more stress on them um, beyond just those individual matchups because, yeah, having to match up with these guys, uh, for longer durations of time, and, but also being, you know, comfortable with like where they typically move to in their scramble drills, right? Like kind of just being aware of, of where guys are going to be at and, and be moving to once Kyler breaks the pocket is something that you, you know, don't love having guys who haven't really been on the field as much out there doing. Yeah, the, the one benefit, though, is lately, I think, or not one benefit, but the one good thing for the 49ers defense lately, especially in coverage, has been Fred Warner. Seems like he's back to his Fred Warner in coverage self. Uh, he had a, a couple plays last week where he was very, very close to an interception, getting depth, getting in throwing lanes. And if Zach Ertz is going to be any kind of a threat across the middle, I think if they're going to try to test Fred Warner, uh, he might be able to get into a throwing lane or two. I think it really behooves Arizona to stay to the edges, which is where they like to throw anyway and where they're good at. And so that's going to kind of try to attack some of the weaknesses. When you get to... The offensive side of the ball, though, it really is all about the quote unquote money down, and that's going to be third down. And when you get to third down, the Niners have an issue on third down. Over the last two weeks, they were five of 22 on third downs. That's actually worse than they were in the weeks leading up to the last two weeks where they were already pretty bad. So they, they took what they were bad at and they got worse. On their long drives where it's a long sustained drives, we've we've talked a couple of times now, it's how it's, they've stayed out of third down. Yeah. And, and one drive, they stayed out of third down entirely. And, and so their, their best defense against third down is not making it to third down because <laughs> if they do make it to third down right now, chances are they're not converting almost at any distance. It's, it's been rough. I mean, yeah, this was kind of a big thing because the Cardinals, right, at the, the time of this first matchup, um, 
had been very good defensively on third downs and and they had kind of gone they, they kind of took a, a little bit of an opposite approach to a lot of teams right where a lot of teams you'll see more kind of conservative base coverage in the early downs and then they'll kind of bring out the the blitzes and the exotic stuff on third down right the the cardinals had kind of done the opposite of that so they were a bit more aggressive in the early downs that was when their blitz rate was higher and then they kind of sat back and would play cover one and and typically rush four uh, and that was their third down approach, right? And, and we've talked a lot about the 49ers offense and, and just not really being able to execute and defeat man coverage right now, especially in, in the third down situations where teams know that they're passing, right? So I, I think it, it was kind of a problematic matchup. And then, yeah, we haven't seen that improve. I mean, that was really the big story against Indianapolis was the, the struggles that they had on third downs, only being able to convert, I believe, one of them. And, and then, yeah, last week when the offense finally kind of seemed to get back on track a little bit, it was avoiding third downs. And so I think it's going to, you know, hinge a lot on one, can their run game be more successful this time around? Right. I, I don't think that they were very good rushing the ball. Uh, a lot of times lost nearly a half a point uh, expected point per play every time they rush the ball against Arizona the first time. So, uh, but we just saw Arizona, you know, have problems defending Green Bay on the ground, right? And Green Bay was very successful against them. So I think if the 49ers can find that same sort of rushing success on the early downs, stay out of third downs, or at least get them into some more manageable short yardage uh, type situations, like that's going to be a big key for them. Because yeah, if they end up uh, in, in these third and longs again, like it's just not likely that they're going to be able to convert at the rate that they need to, to put up the points they need to, to match this offense. Now things have changed a bit since the, the Cardinals and the 49ers last phase too, especially for the 49ers on offense, they will have Jimmy Garoppolo back under center. They will also have George Kittle back. And I think that's going to be huge for a couple of reasons. You think of what Jimmy Garoppolo loves to do especially on third and short, is really throw choice routes to George Kittle. The choice route is something that Garoppolo loves to throw and does often, whether or not really he's covered or not, <laughs> whether or not there's a linebacker there or not. Uh, and, and I do think that if you're going to be looking for you know, the impact of George Kittle, it may be on some of those third downs. It may be really the security blanket for Jimmy Garoppolo because I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo is super comfortable throwing out wide <laughs> outside of that one pass that was intercepted uh, on third down against the Colts, which is like, you're going to choose now to throw it out wide. Um, but that's just not where he makes his money. You look against the, the Bears and he had one of his best games of the year. And if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's passing chart, it was basically standard Jimmy Garoppolo's completely devoid of completions on the edges in the intermediate area. And it was all super concentrated in the middle. So I do think that the, the offense is going to get some tools. The offense is also going to get a starting quarterback back, and and they may be a little bit better equipped to handle what the Cardinals are going to throw at them. We'll see. I mean, obviously, it never hurts to have George Kittle back in in action, and that's going to give uh, you know them another target, and hopefully, they can kind of at least have now two threats because I think we started to really see teams on those major downs because again, Jimmy locks onto guys in these critical situations and and he just kind of it's predetermined they want to get uh who they believe is their best playmaker best matchup on that given play uh they want to get him the ball um which in and of itself like isn't a bad idea right but when when the defense knows that that's coming too and you don't really do a lot 
mixed in with that to kind of sway them from overloading their attention on that guy you want to get the ball to, um, you know, then that's going to be kind of another story. So I think having Kittle and Debo there and, and giving you at least one other guy that you need to be a little concerned with, uh, is, is going to be helpful. Um, but you know, I think you can, we've seen this go because I mean, Jimmy has one of the highest turnover worthy play rates on third down for this very reason, because teams can kind of, you know, isolate where, where they think that he's going to go with the ball and be right a lot of the time. And, and so, um, yeah, I think, you know, again, having Kittle back, obviously net positive, like not trying to, to say that it's going to hurt them to have him back in the lineup by any means, but in these critical situations, I don't think it's a guarantee that it necessarily gives them the boost they need if they're not taking advantage of his presence to like allow them to do multiple things on that down. If it's just like, okay, George is back, let's force feed him the ball on third downs and, and hope that he fixes it. Like that's not necessarily guaranteed to, to fix your problems. Yeah, I do think that is, especially if teams are going to start to actually devote more coverage resources to someone like Debo Samuel, then things really begin to open up. You think of the the second or the, the two-point conversion against Chicago, where you've got a basically four strong on one side and Debo on the other. And I don't know if this was by design or if the Bears just screwed this up, but there were two people on Debo Samuel, and you could very easily see that it was man everywhere else. And Ayuk just roasts his his player. I mean, absolutely roasts him with a fantastic move on the line of scrimmage. And, and he wins that route, beats man coverage, and ends up getting the two-point conversion. The Niners this year have not been nearly as open as they have in previous years. What we're familiar with with Kyle Shanahan is that he gets guys open. And, and this year, I think teams are playing a lot more man against the Niners for a couple of different reasons, um, but chiefly because I don't think they think that they have to play anything else. They've got the people to line up and play man-to-man against the 49ers' offensive weapons with no George Kittle, with Brandon Ayuk, I guess, you know, trying to up his GPS time on the shoulder pad average. Um, and, and you've got to worry about Debo, and so you start committing more resources there. I think now the Niners are getting enough pieces back that if they start committing resources to one player... Um, that, you know, hopefully Jimmy Garoppolo is able to make them wrong. I mean, that's the hope, right? That's, that's the, the plan, uh, that we had for this offense, the dream that you have for this offense going into the season, right? Is, is that, yeah, if I, you can get back to, you know, the, the, that we expected and get the target load that we kind of expected from him. Um, and then Debo continues to do what he's done. You get Kittle back in the mix there and they can be a bit more unpredictable in these situations where, yeah, maybe they want to, you know, they, they go into the huddle or they come out of the huddle expecting to be able to go to one of these guys, but they're not giving the defense the key that this is who they're going to. Right. So it's a a more unpredictable for, uh, the defense there. Like that's going to be the best because yeah, if you, you know, devote too much attention to Debo. Well, that's going to give you better matchups for Ayuk and Kittle, right? If you do it to Kittle, same thing for Debo and Ayuk. So uh, I, I think that's the hope, right? That And that was the the thing going into this season that made you think that they could be, you know, a top-end offense, even with only maybe mediocre at best quarterback play, right? Is, is the weapons that they had there, what you expected from them uh, from a run game standpoint and just kind of how all those things work together. And so if we can start to see some element of that now that we're getting Ayuk back in the fold and, and Kittle now back from injury, that certainly would be uh, a huge boost to them in, in not only the key situations, but in all situations. 
Yeah, I think the other thing that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention is that the absence of J.J. Watt also looms large because that was another thing that picked up the scab of the 49ers' weakness, which is interior line play. When you remove him from the equation, obviously the Cardinals still have fantastic players along the edge, and, and their best player on the year has been, surprise, surprise, on defense anyway, Chandler Jones. So I think that is something to consider, too, when you're thinking about the Niners being able to match up against this Cardinals defense in a way that is to their advantage. Last thing here before we get to some other odds and ends, uh, and that's about Debo Samuel himself. Um, he has played an absolutely lights-out year, career year in terms of yardage, and we're not even halfway through the year. But with George Kittle coming back and Brandon Ayuk now resolving whatever beef he had with Kyle Shanahan, he's got, he had some words with Kyle Shanahan on the bye week. Had some words. Had some words, and and now things are squashed. We're no longer watching his GPS time like a time clock where he punches in and punches out. And and with all of these players kind of maybe emerging back for the 49ers, is it time to sell high on Debo? And I'm talking specifically on fa- about fantasy. Okay. Because part, part, of what, part of what makes uh, someone valuable for fantasy football is their target share. And Debo Samuel has basically had obscene target share for the 49ers. It's basically Debo Samuel and no one else. Uh, you know, third down specialist Mohamed Sanu is basically all that that's happened for the 49ers. Now with other targets coming back, with Jimmy's security blanket coming back, is now your time to move Debo for some assets? I mean, Probably. Uh, I, I think this is one where I would lean towards yes, because so in in a lot of situations, right, um, in order to get a player like that is ends up having a, a career year, you have to kind of go against the regression, the expected regression, right? Somebody like Debo right now has never shown the ability to, to produce at this level at, at any other point in his career, right? This is like well above what we've come to expect from his previous baseline. And so, you know, I think the numbers are typically going to tell you that that's unlikely to continue for the second half of the season. But if you always were to sell, you know, at this point of the season with everybody that was having a career year or that was on some ridiculous pace at the midway point, you'd never end up keeping the guys that have the truly special years, right? So I I think it is like a little tricky sometimes, but in this case, it's just I, I think the targets and the target volume is so big because the 49ers just in no scenario are going to be a high volume passing offense. Right. So it, it's just even if his target share remains really good, if if that's getting picked at a little bit by now, you know, Kittle and Ayuk and, and it's just down a little bit like that's going to be a big difference for him because he's just not going to be a guy that gets, you know, double digit targets every week, even on, uh you know, when, when things are great. So, yeah, I, I think I would probably in this situation just expecting what we expect this passing offense to be in general um, from a volume standpoint, I would, I would probably look to move him if I could. Yeah. I've got him in, I've got him in a family league. This is a family league that has been going on for now seven or eight years. Uh, there's not been a single trade. Uh, you know, fa- I don't feel like family leagues. I feel like they get, they, they go in one of two directions, either like they never ever trade or it's like just, you know, trade city chaos uh, and collusion. That was yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Your grandma's team is run by a grandpa. You know, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, all right. A couple of odds and ends here as we round out the show. Charles Amenahu, 49ers traded a sixth round pick next year uh, for so 2023 for a fifth round pick from two years ago. I feel like first off, 
sound strategy. Collect as many fifth round picks as you can, no matter who picks them. All right. Second of all, I feel like this is now the third block in a row where we've mentioned a former Longhorn, whether it be Pole Assassin herself, Colt McCoy, and now Charles Omenehu. You know, there's there's a through line here. There are Easter eggs. Just pay attention, folks. Uh, Charles Omenehu, promising pass rusher, uh, went to the University of Texas. Thoughts, feelings. Tell me how you're feeling, David, about this trade. I put some gusto behind feelings. it. I have very little feelings. I didn't about say about life in general. I said about Charles uh, Amenehu. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, even less feelings about Charles Amenehu than I have uh, about life in general. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a typical trade at this point um, where, you know, he, again, he's a fifth rounder. You're giving up a, like a future six for him. Like, keep expectations low. Like there's no reason to believe that this is going to be anything more than just another like depth piece along the defensive line. And if he's anything more than that, fantastic. But like, it's probably not going to be anything more than that. I'm going to put him in the P to T hall of fame, you know, just a lot of promise. Uh, I actually do hundred percent uh, of the shots. Uh, you don't take, uh, P to T catching strays two years after he was <laughs> two or three years <laughs> since he's been drafted with the Niners. Um, Charles Amenehu is someone who I actually liked at Texas. I liked watching him. Saw him wreck some shop at a couple games. But he, especially in college, was he was like a run stuffer. He was like a, a slower, kind of just bigger bodied person that would like I was get say, to... I yeah, say, isn't he bigger? He's a bigger than their typical edge player. Yeah, um, he's 6'5", yeah. kind of 270, 280. And, and when you look at his, his performance in college... It was, you know, kind of bigger bodied run stuffer type of player that you would you wouldn't lose the edge with him there. And then it wasn't really until his last year at Texas where he started breaking out as a pass rusher. And and it's so it's surprising to see his tape now and look and think to yourself, okay, like he was fine as a pass rusher his first couple of years, but he's been bad against the run. Like just bad. And and then it's not until this year that he's, his pressure rate's up. His pressure rate's up over 13%, which is slightly better than Eric Armstead's pressure rate. This is in very, very limited snaps. And his first two years, his pressure rate hovered around like 8%, 9%. Um, and he's had a couple of really, really good games, multiple pressure games so far this year. So I can definitely see why the Niners traded for him um, because I don't know that... I think they're realizing very quickly that Samson Ebukam, not the answer. You know, he's not the pressure machine that I think the team was hoping for when they paid Wait, him some you, free agent dollars. Are you sure? Is it too early? Uh, this is I'm pretty Charles sure. Menhu, the next Epicom, right? Everybody was, yeah, he's going to be, I mean, this is exactly why I just find it hard to feel anything about these type of acquisitions because they just, most of the time they don't matter. And it just, yeah, like that, that's what it feels like is here. Like he's somebody that's going to come in get limited snaps and he's going to be another body that's in there. That's fine. To me, that's at least it. this one's a little bit interesting and not just because he went to Texas. Um, but I do think that he, he, well, I mean, that has, that's a big part of it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, I do think that there's at least a little bit of, of upside there. And, and especially cause he's so young and it's like, if you're going to take a swing, at least on someone having upside, it's not someone going on their second contract. Um, you know, that, that at this point it's like, Hey, maybe there's something there, uh, but I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see, how he, especially because he doesn't fit the physical profile that, I mean, other yeah. than being like big, um, that the team typically likes at edge. They're not looking necessarily for that D Ford replacement, which is, I think what they were trying to get a little bit of with Ebukam was that like really fast get off that 10 yard split. Um, 
that that's not really Omenahu. It almost feels like they're trying to get a uh, like an Eric Armstead clone. And, and if that's the case, then I wonder if they're not trying to move Eric Armstead to the interior a bit more and then have someone like Amenahu take take the edge position a bit more often and not necessarily be your premier pass rusher. I think that would be a little bit more interesting deployment of Amenahu, but either which way, it's it's an interesting thing because, you know, hey, former Longhorn. Um, but but other than that, you know, I think that that's the, the shift to Armstead, I think, would be the most interesting thing. I'm kind of surprised that he was even on their radar because they haven't played Houston yet this season. So they hasn't had a chance to roast him in his one good game of the year. And then the 49ers do whatever they can to to go get him. So, yeah, it's it's kind of surprising that they were even aware that he was available. Look, all I'm saying is they they were reading the news. They saw what happened with Paul Assassin. It got them thinking about Texas. And then they started scouting some Texas players. You know, this is it's a very the scouting department is myopic. You know, they get focused on a couple things and that's where it goes. Fine, guys. Um, professionals. Last last thing before we get out of here really quickly, the at the athletic Barrows and Lombardi posted their midseason report. Uh, they had five bold predictions for their midseason report. Their five bold predictions, David, I want to hear which ones you think are reasonable and or agree with. Number one, Brandon Ayuk finishes the regular season with 50 catches. He currently has 13. Uh, reasonable or not? That one I think is reasonable. Yeah, I don't I don't know for sure if it'll get there again, volume stuff with this passing offense. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. How many regular season games are left? You've got. Uh, I don't know man, how many weeks are left in this year. There's new weeks, new schedule. They played eight games, right? No, they played seven games. So there's 10 games left. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just shy of four catches a game. Over the course of the rest of the season. Yeah, I feel like that's very doable. Right? Yeah, I feel like yeah. that's doable. Um, number two, Samson Ebukam will finish with five or more sacks. How many is he have right now? Do we uh, know? I believe the answer is either zero or one, but let me look. Let me check on the research. Yeah, I'm going to say it doesn't matter, and he's not going to do that. <laughs> um, I think he's. I think he has one, or he has one pressure. Yeah, after seven, there we go. I was, I was, looking, I was like, it's got to be in the article. He's got one sack. Ah, there you go. Yep, it's one. And I think it was the one against the Bears where he was like he really was going for it and he had like a stunt that uh, that he went after. But yeah, nine pressures, one sack on the year. Uh at that rate, he would need a lot more pressures in order to get to five sacks. But hey, all I'm saying. Everyone has their day. Uh Diamador Lenore will be a starter by season's end. See, this one was kind of hedgy, which I, I didn't appreciate for a bold prediction column um, because it was kind of like open the door like, oh, yeah, I mean, they're probably going to have a bunch of corners injured, so he'll like find his way in there. And it's like, OK, yeah, sure. If if the guys right now get hurt, um, then then sure. I think he should be a starter by season's end. Um, but if they haven't seen enough of Josh Norman to to not think that he isn't the answer there. At this point, like, I don't know what's going to do it. So I think if we assume health from the two guys that are in there right now on the outside, uh, I would say no, that, that Lenore does not end up as a starter. Yeah, all I'm saying is Josh Norman peanut punches Kyle Shanahan right in the dick at least once a week and says, I'm staying in there. Uh, and that's that's all it takes. Uh, number four. Some words. Norman has some words. uh, Yeah, Norman has some words, and it's a peanut punch to the dick. Uh, Shanahan's 49ers will finally have a 1,000-yard rusher 
and that thousand yard rusher will be Jeff Wilson. Just kidding. Uh, rookie Elijah Mitchell, uh, because <laughs> yeah, they haven't had a thousand yard rusher at all. Carlos Hyde, 938 yards, Matt Breida, 814, Raheem Mostert, 772, Jeff Wilson, 600. Um, further away from the mark every year. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't mean Elijah Mitchell is about to get like hurt this week and he's going to end up with around like he is though he is he has a rib injury and he has a blue a blue no contact jersey this week that look I love Elijah Mitchell he's he's single handedly helping me keep my fantasy season alive but he might be another guy that like we shouldn't be surprised if he gets injured my dude's played in four games and he's emerged with an injury out of two of them he's at a fifty percent injury rate at this point. Uh, and so maybe he just gets injured. I mean, I'm not surprised at this point. At this point, if somebody stays healthy, I'm surprised for the entire season. If you're on the field for like, I'll even give it now that there's 17 games. If you're on the field for 13 of those games, I'm surprised at this point. Yeah, like, it's just long. insane. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think obviously you're you're betting on injury with this. I think if he's healthy 100%, this is the easiest one on the list, he's going to get 1,000 yards. Uh, if he's not healthy, obviously it depends when he stops being healthy and, and yeah. how long he makes it. So, I don't know. I, I would be surprised. I, I would actually sell, maybe sell high on Elijah Mitchell unless you're in Dynasty because I do think Jeff Wilson is going to begin to vulture the goal line stuff because uh, that's where they like to run Jeff Wilson. Uh, number five, the run defense will finish in the middle of league rankings. See, this is, uh, I think, it depends on how well you think the 49ers are going to do overall, independent yep. of run defense over the rest of the year. Right, because a lot of times, because they're looking purely at, at rushing yards allowed per game, and one of the reasons that the 49ers are currently so low is because they have been losing a lot of games this year, and so teams uh, that are winning late are going to run the ball more, and they're going to naturally give up more rushing yards as a result. So, uh, I, I think if you expect that to largely continue over the second half of the season then no, they're not going to move up. If you expect them to be better or winning more of these games, um, then that should see an increase in the amount, you know, opposing teams are throwing the ball. And yeah, we should see the the yards per game number go up a bit. I, I'm going to say no, that they don't finish in the middle of the league. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's more, there, there's still some games that look good there, but I don't know. Things are just kind of falling apart defensively from an injury standpoint already. Like, I, 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 the offense has been ugly with the exception of what, what are we at now? What do we say? Six, seven quarters worth of football or something over the course of this entire season. They've, they've looked decently. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say that they do not get up to middle of the pack. Yeah. I would say, uh, when they face Adrian Peterson in week 16, you know, that's going to be their chance to get back on track. Number six, Trey Lance won't start, but he'll be a key contributor. Uh, no yeah that those he it, those that's not the scenario here yeah he's i was like trey lance won't start. start full stop i would have been like yes yeah okay cool he'll be a key contributor no no he's not unless not he starts be, right exactly <laughs> he's got to start in order for that to happen i i think we have seen enough so far that makes me think that like the little mirage we saw in that one, the final preseason game, right, where things looked wild for like a fucking drive or two um, is just not sustainable. And if anything, I think it hurts them in terms of, uh, you know, what they do offensively over the course of a game by kind of just 
bringing him in for these random situations, right? Because it, it just seems so predictable that when they put him in, they're going to do one of a couple sp- very specific things. Defenses know that and it kind of, you know, they get shut down. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that it's been effective. So I don't know that unless their approach to utilizing him on a part-time basis uh, changes pretty drastically, like I, I don't see how he can be a key contributor um, and not be on the field full time. All right. I think that does it. We're going to hit the outro music as we hit the outro music. And before I have you tell about the Patreon, David, uh, we've got one more bold prediction from Brad who's watching us live right now. And he says bold prediction because the ones that we had apparently were not bold enough. David, these weren't our predictions. David, I know they weren't. I know they were, it was a David, but it was a Lombardi, not of the Newman variety. Um, David will enjoy talking about running backs by season's end. What do you think about that bold prediction, David? Uh, is that? I mean, that's bold. Uh, that would be. <laughs> look, at this point in my life, I'm I'm not ready to say you know never to anything. I you're 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 looking at someone who once said that he was never going to run again, and now just last week ran 46 miles right in in one week. So, um, but I wouldn't count on it. That's all. I feel like. I feel like the fact that you didn't stretch that three more miles to run 49 just to stay on brand, you know, I feel like you missed an opportunity there. You missed, you missed and I just do what the I do what the app tells me to do. That's all. Well, in the it's meantime, David, the tell them about the Patreon. Tell them where they hey. have another avenue to talk shit to you about the run game. I will just block you. I'll kick you <laughs> off the fucking Discord that you get if you buy us a beer and become a Patreon member, patreon.com slash betterrivals. We really need to get betterrivals.com. I feel like that would just make that situation easier. But anyway, regardless, go to that place, buy us a beer. Beers aren't very expensive. You get live streams. You get the on-demand video. Maybe live streams aren't your thing, but video is your thing. You can do that. You get the weekly video breakdowns and you get the Discord. Talk to other Better Rivals fans and us and you know that's worth at least 250 of your five dollars so easy do that easy uh so you can talk shit to david on the discord uh for being a patron getting us a beer you can follow me on twitter and we can also talk on the discord it's wonderful we would love to have you we would love to drink and enjoy the rest of the season and watch hopefully the niners beat the arizona cardinals at home this sunday we'll catch all on monday's live stream and that podcast will be up tuesday thank you all for tuning in as always Go Niners.